want to encourage you, get your Bibles if you have them. Use your smartphone if you don't or your tablet and turn to the book of Acts. You also have message notes. I want to encourage you uh, to refer to the message notes. And we're going to look at some scriptures at the beginning of Acts and at the end. Uh, but we begin a series today called uh, Crossroads in Acts because we're really at a crossroads with Anthony transitioning to another church with Haynes Martin, Fran Magoni coming on board uh, with some information that has been presented related to our long-range vis- visioning process. We just got a lot going on, and I, I'm glad the Lord has you caught up in the current of all that. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Acts over the month of May, some more, some more of May, and so uh, into June. So wind, it's, it's pretty incredible. A force of nature. It's an intriguing phenomenon. Something you don't see, but it's real. Though the effects that it has, think about this for a minute. Think about the devastating and destructive effects that wind can have. Uh, We've been educated, well educated, by the Weather Channel and other media outlets on the damaging effects of straight line wind, tornadic activity, uh, hurricanes. We've seen the vivid images of homes and people's lives being wiped out. I mean, it's pretty incredible when you think about the devastation that wind can cause. But it can be productive as well. I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully harness it, but when it is harnessed in part, think about some of the productive things that can happen with wind. Yesterday I was at a a wedding. It was an outdoor venue at a farm, and there was a windmill. And I thought about how that windmill has transitioned uh, through time, the concept. It was once used uh, to mill grain and to pump water from the earth. And now windmills turn huge turbines, which creates energy and clean energy. And that's an example where a mighty force can be used in good ways. And, and then I was thinking about how when I was a youth pastor here at Martha Bowman, I, we went to this place uh, on Panama City Beach. And I did not let the youth do do this. I took personal privilege in doing this. Uh, I went out on a catamaran with somebody that knew what they were doing. And it was pretty incredible. I mean, this guy was able to fill the sails, and we were moving at a clip, bumping over the waves, out a good ways from shore, and then the water smoothed out like ice. We were getting it. And on a dime, he moved the sails. That same wind, he redirected the vessel and took us back to our destination. And so that is an example of where wind can be used for good. Now, that's a natural phenomenon. That's science at its best. 
kind of wind, kind of storm that blew in on Pentecost Day was a supernatural force. That was no wind that stirred with an origin from earth, but it was a wind from heaven. And it still blows. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would come as you promised. Make yourself at home. Some of us today, Lord, feel very empty. Uh, There's nothing in the tank. We are desperate for you. We need your spirit. So fill us. Lord, we ask that you would give us a receptivity and openness that we would set our sails for your wind of joy. This is our prayer. Bless this time. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we, we find that we come to the second chapter of Acts, and in the second chapter of Acts, there is a mighty wind that blows through, and I really believe in the providence of God. God sees an opportune time where 100, approximately 120 believers about a size crowd like this had heard about Jesus. Some were eyewitnesses. They were ready to go. But they needed something more. And so the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the Passover was celebrated, And people from all over the outside edges of Jerusalem and in Jerusalem came in as a Jewish person for this celebration. It was really a a religious requirement for a Jewish male. So the crowd was in place. The harvest was ready. And the Spirit fell. And you know, we would not be here today if that spirit had not come, if Pentecost had never been in the New Testament sense of Pentecost. Because on the cross, what's awesome is God showed his extravagant love. He forgave all of our sin, removed all of our wrongs, and cleansed us. What a great act of love. And then we celebrate the resurrection. And the fact that the message there is that Christ defeated death. And not only can we live abundant lives, we can live eternal lives. And so Christ, through the cross, gave us redemption and forgiveness. And an empty tomb allows us to live forever. But the church needed something even more. While those are central to our faith, the church, well, it had the law. The Jewish people knew the law who had gathered that day. In fact, they were complying with the law. They, like us, 
have gotten some good advice along the way. They, they had gotten wise teaching, and they had received good theological background. But there was something missing. What is good advice? What is li uh, wisdom literature? What is the law without power? And they needed a dynamic. They needed something greater to be present for the church to really do its job, to ignite, to begin. And so I want us to look very quickly at the elements that were a part of that moment when that dynamic was ushered in, when that power became present. And, and the first is what we mentioned earlier, the wind and the fire came and they began to speak in languages. Now, I want you to envision this a little bit and follow along in your message notes as we look at these three. But can you imagine the response that day when the Holy Spirit fell? I mean, it would have been a similar response as we would have. They were amazed and astonished and perplexed and they had questions and they brought their doubts. And in all of that, people on the outside could look in and see a marked difference in their lives. And they thought, this is crazy. They are sauced. They're drunk. And yet this marked difference was the awakening and birth of the church. And so the first one wins. Let's take a look at that. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole place where they were sitting. Jesus had told them in his teachings, he had said to them, look, it was back when really he met with Nicodemus and then he met with the disciples. But while he was meeting with Nicodemus, he said, look, I am one that celebrates baptism by water. But there is another baptism that is coming. And it's like the wind. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is or where it is coming from. And so early on, he tells his disciples what he explained to Nicodemus. That there is the coming of the Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so that wind is critical. It's important. Yesterday, Kent, Elliot, and I went, or not when yesterday, Friday, we went down the Flint River uh, just north of Thomaston, put in there, and we took our kayaks down the Flint. And I got to tell you, it was, it was pretty awesome out there. And there was a current, and you could see the current in the water and there was a wind behind us. I got to tell you, that's good kayaking right there. When you got the current and the wind is behind you. And, and Jesus is saying, while you cannot see the spirit, it is unseen, it is real. One woman in the church told me about how she had come to a crucible moment, a crisis moment in her life. 
And she cried out to the Lord related to forgiveness. Her own forgiveness and forgiving someone else. And she said, God, I cannot do this. I need your help. Come and fill me and do something that I cannot do on my own. And she said, God answered her prayer. And she said, I felt a warmth come over me that I had been forgiven and I could forgive that person. You see, that's the beauty of the unseen spirit. It's not seeming, but it's real. And it was real for those 120 that were gathered that day. Keith Green, musician several years ago, had a song, and in it he says this about the Holy Spirit. Rushing wind, blow through this temple. Blow out the dust within. Come and breathe your spirit upon me. For I've been born again. And if you catch the imagery of that, when that Holy Spirit comes into us, whether individually or as a church, when we are receptive to that Holy Spirit, it blows out the dust, the crud, the crap within. It eradicates and removes that which is wrong. Then we become a vessel that that Spirit can blow through. Then it blows in life and hope and possibility. We're able to worship God in a way that we would not have otherwise, apart from the Spirit. And there's an urgency to help our neighbor and to serve in ministry. And as a church, we begin to see new doors opening for ministry. So that wind blows through. My prayer is that you will let that wind tunnel on through. Blowing out the crud. Blowing in life. And then there were tongues of fire. It said, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This passage describes what seems, it says, like tongues of fire. There is something that happens... God's passion in your life and you move on that there's something significant in that so often I think we we get excited we become passionate for a moment and then certain emotions move in the busyness of life and that flame can go out very quickly let me share with you and I should have known better but early in my marriage uh, James don't try this there was a fireplace uh, in one of the parsonages we had. In fact, it was over on Thomaston Road. It was right next to the church. I got to tell, tell you, that's a drag, having the house you live in right next to a church, I mean, for a pastor, you know, because everybody wants the key, and they want to know if you're home, and there's no privacy. But anyway, this particular day, sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a therapy session. This particular day, I wanted to build a fire for, for Delia in the fireplace. And, uh, and, and so what I did is I threw in some, there was a wooded area behind the church, and I threw in a few twigs, sticks, a few logs, and I couldn't get the thing started. And all I had that would really ignite it was some kerosene. Yeah, I didn't know much about kerosene, 
And so I took some kerosene and poured it on the logs, and then I struck a match. I know, I should have known better. And I struck a match and lit it. Oh, it lit. And the flames very quickly came up to the mantle, and Delia, in her young bride way, without trying to hurt my ego, said, Tim, I don't think it's supposed to do that. <laughs> and I said, right. And when I turned, she saw that I had no eyebrows. But um, there is something about when that kindling becomes a real fire. And that's what John Wesley experienced. He was struggling. He had tried to find God in so many ways, through education, through service, through legalism. And it was at Aldersgate Chapel in a strange kind of obscure moment and place he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And forever we are to be grateful because it was part of a, it was the start of a movement. Have you allowed God to let that passion within you burn? And then finally, it says that they began to speak in languages that were discernible in, in their indigenous world. They began to hear the gospel and the good news in a language that they could understand. You know, even here in the States, it's sometimes hard to understand each other. Uh, living in Kentucky, I moved to Statesboro, Georgia in 1983, and I was a summer youth intern there, and I, I went down, and, and it, I was staying with a host family who was indigenous to Bullock County, and, um, and and so I stayed with them, and it was time for us to eat lunch up at the church during a weekday, and he said this, get this, now some of you know what this means, but at the time I didn't, he said, all right, I'm fixing to carry you there, and I said, excuse me, he said, I'm fixing to carry you there, he said, I'm, and one guy who helped translate, he said, He's getting ready to transport you to the church. So, uh, you know, we have different languages, but isn't it awesome when we hear a language that is understandable? And I need to share with you that you are fluent in the language of good news, in the language of love. God has wired you in such a way that you can love anybody around you, and you can grow in being fluent. What does that look like? It looks like telling your story. Simply telling your story has embedded the story of Christ. Share that story with someone. You'll be surprised who might understand. You're offering to give yourself in compassionate ministry. Helping someone else. When you serve a hot meal to someone that is hungry, that's a language that is understood. I want you to quickly, I, I need to go and be a part of the 11 o'clock traditional. Turn to the 29th chapter of Acts. Go ahead, look in uh, your smartphones, your tablets. If you have your Bible, some of you have, um, uh, the. look for the 29th chapter. We're going to talk about that. 29. 
shaking his head no. You got to 29? Did I say the wrong one? Maybe the 28th. Is the 28th in there? I really wanted to talk about the 29th because, men and women, you are writing the 29th chapter of Acts. And as a church, how will it be written? I pray that it will be written in such a way. There is no 29th chapter of Acts. Stop looking. I pray that it will be the kind of thing that you will be a part of. You will be that vessel where the Holy Spirit will blow through. That you will allow Christ to ignite your heart in a way that hadn't happened before. And in some cases, John Wesley, he, he called it the second work of grace, where you give your life to Christ and he becomes Savior, and then you make a decision and say, okay, God, I want you to be Lord. Live in me. And then I want to encourage you to speak a language that you know well. The language of love. The language that has in it good news about Jesus. Let's pray together.